Hi, I'm David. And I'm Chelsea. And we like scary movies. Our podcast is a double feature horror movie show where we match up two horror movies to discuss the surprising or obvious things that they have in common. In our first episode, we paired up Evil Dead 2 with Return of the Living Dead Part 2, which are both sequels to beloved originals that are also semi-remakes. In this episode, we're going to discuss John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness and Paul W.S. Anderson's Event Horizon. Their connective tissue, mainly Sam Neill, but also Lovecraftian horror. It's a little more obvious this week. Yes. Yeah. We're going to really hammer you in the face with this connective tissue, which who would not want to be hammered in the face by Sam Neill? Which, like, isn't really sexy, but, like, maybe a little... No, Samuel's great. Yeah, he is a personal favorite of mine. Uh, Jurassic Park was one of my absolute favorite movies growing up, uh, and I just love him. Also, greatest person to follow on Instagram ever. (laughs) His Instagram is all just it's like beautiful farm winery with adorable animals. uh, And during quarantine, he had a series of videos from his bathtub. So nothing to dislike there. And his poems. Oh, his poems. Yes. Yeah. Sam Neill. Sam Neill. Should we just... Should we, so the show becomes the Sam Neill... Uh, he's in lots of horror movies. He's in, yeah, a fair number. The some guy, of which I like more than others. I don't know if we'll get into that yeah. this episode. The but... guy played Damien, the Omen. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> which I actually have never seen. Yeah. Should be good. Uh, maybe we should pair that with something. Yeah. A very illustrious career. Well, uh, should we dive into In the Mouth of Madness? Yeah, yeah, let us get into it. This one will drive you absolutely mad. The riots began because the stores could not meet the demand of Sutter Kane's novel... In the mouth of madness. Kane disappeared two months ago without a trace. Isn't the guy that writes horror books? You can forget about Stephen King. Kane outsells them all. I need to know if he's alive or dead, and I need that book. It's a setup. It's a setup. I just have to work out how it's set up. Kane's writing has been known to have an effect on his readers. This is a map. This whole thing has been staged. You just get out. This is not reality. It's all happening for real, Trent. Madness is the greatest John Carpenter movie of any of his movies, truly. Nothing controversial there at all, right? Wait a minute. (laughs) No, it's tops. It is tops. Don't get me... It is is my personal favorite John Carpenter movie, which is saying something because I really love a lot of his movies. I'm not going to go as far as to say it is the best John Carpenter movie, but it is my favorite. (laughs) 
Uh, In the Mouth of Madness came out in 1994, directed and scored by John Carpenter, and it was written by Michael DeLuca. Many John Carpenter movies he writes and directs, so this is maybe uh, on the rarer end, although he does have a few that he did not write. So Michael DeLuca, possibly best known for The Lawnmower Man, which I have not seen, (laughs) which David has expressed his opinions on, and I'm not really planning to see it. He also wrote Freddy's Dead. The Final Nightmare. Another very good movie. Just, just <laughs> the the pits. That movie, by far my least favorite Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Although it probably gave me my favorite line to quote, which is... Yeah, well, the map says we're fucked. Which is just hilarious for some reason. <laughs> also remarkable for the worst Freddy Krueger makeup. Uh, at least it didn't end on that note, because we did get New Nightmare afterwards, which... I thought was excellent, very meta, just really good, and very great makeup, and different makeup. Yeah. Oh, yeah, his looks so good there. Yeah. So, I guess Michael DeLuca had initially offered the script to John Carpenter. He said no, and a few other contenders were in the running to direct it, uh, Mary Lambert and Tony Randall. Really? Oh, wow. Uh, And then John Carpenter got back on board, and he said, I will make it. And not only did he make it, but it actually is the third installment of his Apocalypse trilogy, if you can call it that. We've also had discussions about whether this is really a trilogy, preceded by The Thing and Prince of Darkness, which, to me personally, since this is a podcast all about our opinions, I will say, tonally, I can see similarities to Prince of Darkness. Yeah. I can't imagine it belonging to the same trilogy as The Thing. The dour tone or whatever, like, kind of hopelessness that permeates that. I mean, they're all movies about the apocalypse. (laughs) I think hopelessness is, like, par for course, but, Yeah, The Thing seems like a little bit of a stretch. Yeah, and I feel like The Thing is so much about the creature, and like the effects. Uh, yeah, tonally to me, it's so different. It's like less about the characters to me. It's about one, maybe two of the characters. Yeah. Which, I mean, the, the thing is excellent. The uh, main core cast, obviously we have Sam Neill, our connective tissue. Don't you like to connect with his tissue? Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he's playing John Trent, who is like an insurance investigator. So he, he investigates insurance claims for a living. Julie Carmen playing Linda Stiles. She's probably familiar to the horror crowd, mostly for Fright Night 2. Yeah, the I like her very a lot. Sexy vampire in that. Jurgen Prochnow as Sutter Kane. So he is, what would you say, he's the MacGuffin? Yeah. <laughs> he's, you know, we'll get into the plot in a little bit. Uh, David Warner, very familiar face, playing Dr. Wren. John Glover as Saperstein, Charlton Heston as Jackson Harglow, a a very big get, I suppose, (laughs) Uh, Wilhelm von Homburg as Simon, and in his debut role, Hayden Christensen (laughs) playing the paperboy. Nice. Should we get into the plot a little bit? Sure. The uh, movie opens with actually John Trent, Sam Neill's character, confined to an asylum. This is actually a pretty similar trope to what you see in a lot of H.P. Uh, Lovecraft stories. So it's kind of someone who's perhaps gone crazy, perhaps isn't crazy, is like telling the story after the fact. 
Um, and that's essentially what this is. So uh, it's John Trent telling his story to uh, David Warner, playing Dr. Wren. And he is an insurance investigator who had been hired by a publishing agency who's trying to contact Sutter Kane, who's a author, kind of a, a mix of a, a like a Stephen King, like if H.P. Lovecraft were successful in his life, which, you know, he wasn't. And he no longer gets money for his stories. So now I can enjoy them because he's just a, a ter- <laughs> terrible person. Uh, very, very, very racist. You know, but that genre of horror taps into something that uh, at least resonates with me a lot is that uh, just completely like otherworldly, you know, he calls it fear of the unknown. And that's something that I think this movie doesn't excellent job capturing which is one reason that i just i love it i love this movie i love the names too i feel like sutter kane is such a like like you said the stephen king parallel but like it's it's uh it just sounds so good it could read sutter kane (laughs) you read sutter kane uh yeah it's it's so good so yeah so he he's hired to uh track down you know sutter kane after sutter kane's agent the one person who had contact with the author goes crazy after reading his latest manuscript and kills a bunch of people with an axe and attacks sam neill just oh i love this movie so essentially the he he's hired by the company he travels with linda styles who julie carmen's character who works for the company and he starts kind of reading sutter kane's books and having these these nightmares um, and eventually he discovers a map kind of hidden on the book covers to lead him to Hobbs End uh, a town which does not exist uh, except in the books so you know he goes on this this road trip with uh, Linda and through some magic we'll say they come across this town and it's you know featuring places and characters from uh, Hobbs End Horror one of Sutter Kane's books and in this town in this really creepy church that's apparently a a real place in Ontario called the Cathedral of Transfiguration and they call it the Black Church in the movie and they find Sutter Kane so getting into I guess the the spoilery bits I mean not that I haven't already spoiled a bunch (laughs) but you know his his latest novel is about you know these kind of children turning into monsters and the town is, is living out this novel as uh as he's writing it and eventually there is a, a big confrontation and you know the the power of these books is bringing these terrible Lovecraftian monsters in from another dimension and you know he tells John Trent's character he needs to bring his book out into the world and spread it and basically start having that that transformation happen everywhere and John Trent refuses to and then it turns out he already did. He (laughs) already did. It is it is complicated. He did it It 20 minutes ago. Yeah. (laughs) It is confusing. And I, I was curious, you know, I, I went into this movie cold when I watched it for the first time a couple years ago, and we've seen it many times since. And, you know, I did dig back into some reviews of this movie to talk about how it was received at the time. And it's you know, mixed reviews, but the people who didn't like it said it was generally just confusing and weird and very hard to follow. And that's kind of what I loved about it. <laughs> it was a little, it's like ahead of its time. Yeah, I don't want to be spoon fed anything. And I want, you know, I want a movie that makes me think. And I, you know, the story itself brings up so many interesting points about like sanity, right? So at one yeah. point he's having the conversation with Julie Carmen's character talking about like, oh, you know, you only think you're sane 
because it's like a, a consensus, a consensus around mm. sanity. So if most people are insane, you know, suddenly they're the sane ones, which is interesting because I feel like a big part of the story is like Sam Neill's character losing his sanity, sort of. <laughs> But then it's like, did he even exist? I think that's where kind of the the confusion comes in. And I I love that aspect of it. I do too. I I love a good cold open. And this is like, you're thrown in. And then you find out that it's a nonlinear timeline. Which I think really works to the movie's favor. Like you said, that like a bit of disorientation mixed with, I guess the, yeah, the realities of uh unreality or whatever <laughs> yeah. but i think too the the title of the film in the mouth of madness i you know i was a big carpenter fan back when this came out and i wasn't as aware of lovecraft but as i got older and read like uh in the mouth of madness like it, i feel like it really in the mountains of madness in the mountains mean. of madness <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's that's how close they are but actually all all of the titles of sutter kane's books are basically spins on H.P. Lovecraft books. So yeah. they're not trying to hide anything. Actually, there's a part where John Trent is uh, when they first see the Black Church and he's uh, quoting supposedly a passage from Hobbes and Horror about the church and he says uh, it is, quote, the seat of an evil older than mankind and wider than the known universe. And that is actually a quote from The Haunter of the Dark. Oh, the H.P. Lovecraft story. So nice. it's uh, I think all of like the internals of the books that they show are all just it's Lovecraft. Oh, that's pretty cool. I do like that. I've always wanted to have like the fake books. Uh, the cover art's so good. Yeah, it, uh, it's too bad that it's so hard to come by because yeah. those are awesome. Well, speaking of the covers, the whole like built-in thing with the map is how they find Hobbs in, and I think that plot device is really cool. I don't know. I just like that scene of John like. He finally kind of sees the pattern yeah. and the covers him just sitting there like cutting them all out and then he yeah. like builds this, this, the map. I think everything, it's, it's such a well-crafted movie. Like it's one of those rare movies where it's, I don't think anything could have been done better. Yeah. It's... And the, like everything from the effects and, and to the, the score are just so atmospheric and they're, yeah, it feels very timeless. It feels like a, a modern film noir, but like not so tied to like. I guess it's it's nice that like cell phones and stuff weren't out then. There's very little like computer stuff. I would say it definitely feels ahead of its time. So the the LA Times in their review, their contemporaneous review, they gave it an A and they said it is quote a thinking person's horror picture that dares to be as cerebral as it is visceral. Wow. So that's me. I'm a thinking person, <laughs> apparently. Yeah. Let's see. Some other people who really dug it. Uh, Ari Aster. So he's the director of Hereditary and Midsummer, uh, which I loved Midsummer. I have not seen Hereditary. But he said In the Mouth of Madness was one of the most influential films for his style and is one of his favorite films of all time. Wow. So, Very yeah. cool. Yes. High praise from uh, another excellent director. Yeah, the cover kind of sucks. The cover of Prince of Darkness sucks from too, but you know. A movie from that era. I feel like <laughs> they kind of moved away at that point from like the really cool, like original artwork style posters. And there was like a, I feel like it kind of dip in the quality of all like movie posters for like a little while. And now it's back up to, I think, very cool. They're doing cool things. Yeah. And we have the uh, Screen Factory Blu ray, which the covers. Uh, painted and it's modern and it's really cool i do like that sweet i love this movie it's so good well shall we shift over to the second movie in our future all right cool TDRS picked up an automated navigation beacon broadcasting a two-minute interval into Neptune orbit. Neptune 
Project to create a spacecraft capable of faster than light flight. Ship doesn't really go faster than light. What it does is it creates a dimensional gateway that allows it to jump instantaneously from one point of the universe to another light years away. Where has she been for the last seven years, Doctor? That's what we're here to find out. After seven years in deep space. There were 18 people on board this ship when it disappeared. I want them all accounted for. Opening outer door. It came back abandoned. Any crew? Negative. This place is a tomb. But it didn't come back alone. beyond the boundaries of our universe. Who knows where it's been and what it's brought back with it. The ship is reacting to us and the reactions are getting stronger. What are you telling me? That this ship is alive? I have such one thing to show you. Oh my God. It knows my secrets. <laughs> So this is the Event Horizon. Event Horizon came out in 1997. So a couple years later. Yeah, yeah. just a couple years later. uh, I don't know any of the history behind Sam Neill getting the part. However, Paul W.S. Anderson was hot off of Mortal Kombat. Oh, very timely. (laughs) The new Mortal Kombat movie. Oh, don't get me started. Do you want to share what you thought about it? No, we might lose listeners. Oh, yeah. (laughs) If I can't say anything nice, I... Uh, and then later for most of the Resident Evil movies, yeah. the live action movies anyway. And Mortal Kombat was such a big hit that, but it was rated PG-13. And the director wanted to do something more hard-hitting, more adult. And so he came across the script for Event Horizon, which was written by Philip Eisner. And then he sort of took over the project and rewrote large portions of it. One of the things that, uh, besides starring Sam Neill, uh, is the look of this movie is very inspired by Alien. And that's because uh, John Mollo was the costume designer of this movie, as well as Alien, but also Star Wars. So that's why some of that kind of looks very familiar. It stars Sam Neill, but he does take kind of a co-lead to the rest of the crew. It's funny because he's introduced almost as a fish out of water because he's like the, the... He's not a member of the space crew. Right. You know, we have the lead, which is Lawrence Fishburne. Oh, yes. Who is Cowboy Curtis in Pee-wee's Playhouse. Oh, I'm sure that's what he's best known for. Yes. Yes. Uh, also, of course, Morpheus in the Matrix. He's just uh, very solid, and it helps ground it, because pitting Lawrence Fishburne with Sam Neill, I think they work off each other very well. Yeah, they're definitely, I think they are each other's equals, and they kind of steal the show. I didn't think anyone else really stood out. Rounding out the crew, Kathleen Quinlan, Jolie Richardson, Richard T. Jones, Jack Noseworthy, Jason Isaacs, who has been in a lot of stuff. Part of the movie, he's stuck on the other ship, though. 
He's in Harry Potter. He is, right? yes, yes. He's it's Draco a... Malfoy's father, yep. Lucius, Lucius Malfoy. Yep. yep, he is. Sean Pertwee, which uh, he's another character actor. I really liked him. Peter Marnicker and Holly Chant. And then there are some other supporting characters. But this is largely, it's a contained crew in space. They're going to, you know, just like with Alien, kind of like on a mission. And it turns out there's something else going on, which is that uh, Sam Neill's Dr. Weir, William Weir, he has been brought on board because it turns out, spoiler alert, he designed the Event Horizon, which has disappeared for a number of years and then mysteriously shows up. I like how this movie does a good job of... Of setting the like not pirate genre but that like being at sea parallel with uh being in space yeah so it's like updated and uh i i think that's pretty interesting okay so we already spoiled the hole in the mouth of madness so oh we're gonna spoil this one too yeah we're gonna yeah. spoil this one too so i mean i'll i'll just say that it turns out that the ship has been i guess in hell like lovecraft stories yeah it has been elsewhere i think elsewhere is a much better description I loved in this movie how they explain the ship's movements because I I really love sci-fi. It was probably the first genre that I got into when I was growing up. And they discuss with Event Horizon how it's, it's achieving faster than light travel by essentially folding space. Yeah. So that you end up kind of occupying the same space at the same time. And then essentially you're supposed to blip out of one space and at the same time be appearing in the other place. And But, you know, of course that's not going to happen because this is not a sci-fi movie. This is a horror movie. Yeah. So it, it disappears into, yeah, somewhere else. There's such a great scene in the movie where Dr. Weir grabs the pen or the pencil and pokes it through the folded piece of paper yeah. to show how that works. And I think I've since seen it in other movies, but it, it's so well done in the and it's so simple it's so crazy how it just it makes no sense and yet it makes perfect sense (laughs) like yes you could totally do that sure yeah he does such a good job playing a scientist so the crew once they're connected and docked with the event horizon the main plot device is that each character is haunted by some sort of past uh, memory manifested i mean to them they're at least seeing it happen The biggest point of that would be showing Dr. Weir's passing of his wife because he's haunted by visions of her death. I think this movie does such a good job of setting up his character so we as the audience don't really suspect it's going to go where it goes. You can say where Uh, it goes. No, I know where it goes. But, you know, it turns out that, like, I mean, he's full on board for getting back to wherever the ship was. Oh, he he is the villain. Yeah. He is the villain of the movie. And I think, speaking of how they set it up, you know, I, I kind of assumed early on that maybe his wife was on board the other vessel. Oh. You know, because they're having those, like, sweet flashbacks to her and, you know, you know that she's not there. And I was like, oh, she, like, disappeared with the vessel. And that's why he's, you know, on his mission to go to the vessel and, you know, see if there are any survivors. And then, of course, it, it turns out, and they kind of reveal it. Like, I, I wondered if I was maybe assuming things that I had no reason to assume but I think you know they reveal that you know she had died by suicide you know in line with when you kind of see his character turn and I think it's kind of implied that it was like partially neglect on his part um you know and I'm sure he feels guilty about that even though you you should not feel guilty about something like that you know kind of revealing that at the same time that it's like oh no he's not on that ship looking for his wife he's on that ship or uh not not great reasons but maybe also a little bit of scientific curiosity there's nothing wrong with that 
The one thing about Weir is that, okay, you're like, oh, he designed it. And you walk into the Event Horizon and it is the evilest looking interiors <laughs> like of any ship I've ever seen. It's more evil than the inside of anything that aliens have taken over in the Alien series. Yeah. It is like Hellraiser manifested as like decor. It is very much, man. Yeah, Hellraiser, big Hellraiser vibes. They're like, here, let's look at the gravity drive. And then it's all this just awful stuff. There has been like terrible, terrible like murders that had happened to the that the crew had murdered each other after they were, I guess, influenced by whatever sort of evil presence that, you know, the ship had been to. And there's just gore all over the walls. And there's like they're just like set up in the uh in like the bridge and there's just like splattered body stuff all over, just like raspberry jam. Yeah. I was not really expecting it to be as graphic as it was. I I've seen Alien. It's like, I feel like the Alien and Aliens and all those, like that violence feels like, like kind of what you would expect for like an alien (laughs) (laughs) to carry out. This was over the top. The thing is, it's not violence carried out by an alien. It's violence carried out by other humans, which is always going to be different. Yeah. And you know, there's, so they find a a recording, I guess a, a, a video recording that they're trying to decrypt throughout the movie. That builds a lot of tension because you know, at some point they're going to decrypt it and they're going to see what happens. And so, you know, some of that's telegraphed. And I think that the first time I saw this movie, I was, I was disappointed, but I hadn't seen it since then, since it came out. And then we watch it and I really enjoyed it. I feel like the things that bothered me didn't bug me this time so i guess you you see some of what the ship can do because they like go through a stargate-esque kind of like portal one like one of the characters who's the first to go through and then similar to alien is unconscious and then you know wakes up so at a certain point when they realize that the ship is sentient having gone to whatever dimension or world that it has been you know they know that they need to destroy it and of course we're sam neill being full-on evil villains mode hellraiser-esque kind of mode uh he's trying to do everything he can to stop them from destroying his baby because he built the thing and he also needs he wants to go back to wherever evil world Mm -hmm. (laughs) as we'll call it yeah back to the mouth of madness or the mountains of madness back in the mountains of the mouth of madness so there's like a big showdown you know he comes back completely burned there's like a whole subplot with him cutting out his eyes and like he looks really gross as all these crazy horror movie prosthetics so it it does it does a good job of like shifting back and forth between the horror aesthetic and then the sci-fi uh aesthetic Aesthetic. But don't you know you can't have horror movies set in space? Oh, that's right. I forgot. Yeah, that's true. That's that's, not true. That's a silly thing that I saw (laughs) on Twitter. There's a point where the gravity drive does activate and then it starts to destroy the ship. And then they have a fake out ending where we think that Weir has come back. It turns out that it was a nightmare. Stark and Cooper, I believe, are the only two survivors. Yeah, uh, well, Lawrence Fishburne sacrifices himself to activate the like self-destruct. So I yes. think that ultimately the ship is gone. It's not in another dimension. It's it's in fiery whatever. I mean, you always know that's how it's going to end because of the uh, the Chekhov's gun of they get on board the Event Horizon and uh, Sam Neill's character, Dr. Weir, they get on board the Event Horizon and, you know, he points out, oh, and these are all strategically placed self-destruct bombs to, like, blow out the central corridor connecting the, like, gravity drive to the, well, front part. So, like, they end up escaping on the front part and then the rest of it was blown up. 
the look of this movie is pretty remarkable for remarkable for the time because I guess these like models and stuff it hasn't aged much like no, the look it, of it it looks great there's but, like the gravity yeah. stuff there's like CGI bottles and things floating around but yeah it looks good this movie looks great I feel like it it has held up pretty well I feel like it's schlocky but I think that's part of the charm there's one part that stood out to me that I really did not like what's that and it was the confrontation between I'm just gonna say Sam Neill and Lawrence Fishburne yeah uh, like in the gra- gravity drive room where he is like showing Lawrence Fishburne these visions of like his crew getting tortured right and he says oh it's like worse than hell it's worse than anything you can imagine and then they like they show that and I'm like you know it's not really worse than anything <laughs> maybe it's just me it's not worse than anything I could imagine um, <laughs> but I feel like that is one of those instances where it's like just don't show if you don't show you know then it's it's really your imagination can run wild but instead it's like it's worse than you can imagine it's like look someone tied up getting like razor cuts on their face and it's like is that worse than you can imagine though i don't know well i'm glad you brought that up because this movie is infamous for its lost footage of that very uh scene (laughs) no it was lost footage of the like camera of the previous crew oh right uh and all of that footage apparently they were like whoa this is too much and so they burnt it up uh or they (laughs) smashed it with a hammer or something they should just Uh, splice that in instead of the scene i'm talking about oh no yeah Apparently there was a lot of horrific violence of how the crew, the original crew, met their demise. And many people have been eager to see that because, you know, I guess the like... Because we're all twisted. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. But uh, I guess the Paul W.S. Anderson has said that there was supposedly a, a VHS tape of the work print that had it and then they watched it and you couldn't see any of it and then the negatives were like destroyed by the studio or something. Somebody has in their basement, I'm sure. It'll come out someday. The only other bit of trivia that I thought was really cool, and since this is Sam Neill-centric... Yay! ...is that, you know, everyone is wearing their spacesuits that seem kind of like, you know, look a lot like they do sort of an alien, but the flags show what sort of future may have happened on Earth politically. So the characters that are played by British actors wear a European Union flag that contains 22 stars instead of the Union flag. And this movie predates the UK's vote to leave the European Union. But Sam Neill's Dr. Weir wears a modified Australian flag without the Union flag. It has been removed and an Aboriginal flag is in its place. And that was Sam Neill's decided to do that. Oh, is it because he's just the absolute best? Yeah. 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 I, th- I thought that. Which is really the whole point of this episode. Except when he's an evil engineer who creates a, a ship that goes to an evil dimension. We'll just say an evil dimension. Cuts out his eyes. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. Now, even then. <laughs> yep. You'd still. I'm always give him rooting kisses. for Sam Neill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Should we talk about taglines? Because I know you have some taglines. I do, but I only have two and they're both pretty good. So I don't have a bad tagline to go up against you. I only have two and they're bad. So so you're saying you win automatically. (laughs) I'll, I'll read mine anyway. The first one, reality isn't what it used to be. Okay. All right. But then my favorite one, which is the one that they did go with. So a good choice is, um, lived any good books lately? Yeah. That's so good. It's good. It's really good. I think that tagline is perfect for the movie because it is also just confusing and weird. Just like the movie. It's just excellent. Okay, I have two. One is a haunted ship, a missing crew, an infinite evil. Okay. I feel like uh, that could be a, a, a haunted, a scary pirate movie. Oh, Ghost yeah. pirate, haunted yep. ship. <laughs> okay, here's the other one. Are you ready for it? Yes. Infinite space, 
infinite terror. I like that one. It's stupid, but I like it. Yeah. I think I like it because it's stupid. Infinite space, <laughs> infinite terror. Yeah. Infinite space, infinite terror. It sounds like, I don't know, it could be like the tagline for evil vacuum cleaner. It's so like pithy. I like it. <laughs> All right. Well, I still vote that In the Mouth of Madness is an infinitely better movie. However, I do now like Event Horizon, but I will still say it's schlocky. Yeah, I mean, obviously. Schlocky good fun. Yeah, obviously I will... for me, In the Mouth of Madness is better because it's like one of my absolute favorite movies. But, you know, watching Event Horizon for the first time and like I, I had kind of heard mixed things about it, we'll say. And I was impressed. Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I found it very incredible grossing, which probably my biggest issue with movies sometimes is like, if they don't grab me, I have a hard time even just watching them. Uh, and this one, I enjoyed it. So I, I did want to mention, because uh, we, we did it in our first episode, and I think I would like to do this consistently, but, you know, we each have our respective movies in this double feature pairing. And so what do you think would be a good double feature with Event Horizon? I do like the bit of, like, Hellraiser, and I think that it could make a good pairing with the original Hellraiser. So I would probably just stick with that. Yeah. I feel like Alien would be the most obvious choice that I would think of, but I guess maybe they're too similar and Alien is too much better of a movie. You think it would be a little weird? I don't think it would be weird. I would like to stack it Event Horizon Alien to end on the better movie. I would like to have the taste of Alien when I went to sleep instead yeah. of the taste of Event Horizon. All right. Well, I've okay, thought about so, this. Yes. Um, for In the you... Mouth of Madness. <laughs> yeah. So my first thought was The Resurrected. It's, it's an actual adaptation of H.P. Lovecraft. It's not inspired by the way this one is. But I thought that you mentioned film noir. So, you know, to me, The Resurrected is very film noir to the point where they even have like a, well, they both have like their femme fatale type character. But, you know, I think because he's a detective in The resurrected it's like it's very film noir handsome leads would that be the uh, sam neil and then chris sarandon <laughs> chris sarandon yes please uh, <laughs> who also turns in oh spoiler alert is accidentally the, the villain. villain yeah i guess another thought i had was prince of darkness because it's john carpenter and it is part of the apocalypse trilogy and i feel like you know more than the thing i i do think the tone between the prince of darkness and in the mouth of madness is similar and then my last thought, which is way out of the box, Pontypool. Oh. So the idea of, you know, a spreading insanity that is ending the world. I like that. Yeah, uh, yeah no, that really makes me think. I feel like, yeah, the tone and the feel, a good, like, pre-apocalypse. Like yeah. Like, you're just, it's just, just you're cusp, just seeing yeah. it locally, localized. Yeah. And then knowing that it's going to, like, push on beyond the boundaries of the story you're watching. Yeah. I like that. That's good. We talked about In the Mouth of Madness, and I didn't even mention the ending of that movie and how weird it is. The movie ends with him in a movie theater watching himself. So, like, Charlton Heston's character mentions, you know, when, when John Trent is talking about, you know, oh, the book's gonna spread everywhere and end the world, and it's like, oh, what about the people who don't read it? And it's like, oh, don't worry, there's a movie. And then, you know, it turns out the movie's already out in theaters, and he goes and sees it, and it's like himself in the movie talking about how he's not crazy, and it's, oh, just A+. Plus, that's, a+. Plus. That's, that's the note I want to end on is just if you haven't seen this movie go watch it and I'm sorry for spoiling it but it doesn't even matter go watch it anyway oh totally go watch this best John Carpenter movie ever
You're trying to get me to like bring up other John Carpenter movies. I am, I am, and you're not taking the bait. I'm <laughs> oh. sure, I'm sure we'll discuss all of them. We will because he's my favorite director. So on right. that note, while you're sitting alone in the movie theater watching yourself up on the screen, claiming that you're not crazy, just keep telling yourself it's only a movie. It's only a movie. It's only a movie. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye.